And while you remain standing, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through verse 29, the end of the chapter. Hebrews 12, beginning reading at verse 18. Let us now quiet our hearts to hear God's word. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time... His voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that we would be humble, that you would give us ears to hear, and that our hearts would be open to receive. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you, through your word, would change us and conform us to the likeness of our Savior. And in so doing, we may bear fruit for your glory and for Jesus' sake. Amen. You may please be seated. Congregation, every once in a while, it's good for us to understand some grammar, (laughs) to go back to our English class days in high school and recall certain important things about language. And one of the most important things that we can remember and should remember is that 
in language, in reading, as we have just read a certain portion of Scripture, we need to understand the distinction between indicatives and imperatives. That's very important. An indicative says the book is on the table. It's not telling you to do anything. It's not instructing you. It's just simply informing you. The book is on the table. That's an indicative. An imperative says, read the book. (laughs) That's an imperative. It's telling you to do something. An indicative is simply a statement of fact. An imperative calls you to action. And that's a great lesson for understanding the Bible, is to know the difference between indicatives and imperatives. The imperative tells us what to do. The indicative just gives us information. And in many places in Scripture, the... uh, the imperatives are given to us in light of or because of the indicatives. As in Romans 12, you have at the beginning of Romans 12, in view of God's mercies, present your bodies as living sacrifices. And so what that is saying is, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, everything that I've just told you about the wonderful grace and mercy of God, in view of that, now do. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Because of what has been said about God and His loving mercies, do this. Now, the reason I'm spending some time on that is because we're not going to understand Hebrews chapter 12 unless we're clear about this important distinction. There's many do this statements in Hebrews chapter 12. We've been, by the way, uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, I've been doing a series through the book of Hebrews and uh, and have preached uh, Uh, three, I think, sermons now on Hebrews 12. And in Hebrews 12, we have these do this statements. Run the race. That's telling us to do something. Run the race, we're told. Strengthen weak knees. Run straight paths. Strive for peace and holiness. Guard from bitterness. Don't be like Esau. These are the things that, these are the imperatives, the, the, the things that we're told in this passage, things to do. But there's also many information statements as well. Jesus ran the race. Keep your eyes focused on him. Or God disciplines the children that he loves. And God's discipline is working peace and holiness in you. And what you find in Hebrews chapter 12 is that the imperatives are exhortations and the indicatives are motivations. Do you follow that? 
The indicatives are motivations for us. Last time, we did focus on the fact that God disciplines those who he loves, and we are called upon to keep running the race because that is the case. Be strong. Run straight. Pursue peace and holiness. Don't be like Esau who failed to persevere. And then today's text begins with the word for. For you have not come to what may be touched. For. Because. So that right knowing is the key to right doing. So in these verses that we're looking at this morning, verses 18 to 29, in verses 18 to 24, we have this kind of lengthy uh, uh, description of Mount uh, Sinai and Mount Zion. And this is to give us more motivation. This is indicative to not be like Esau. Four. To not, so, and then in verse 25, it's a repeated exhortation, but in different words. Do not refuse him who is speaking, because that's what Esau did. He refused God's promises, and he refused God's grace. And then verses 25, the second half of it, to 27, it's more motivation. It's more explanation. Verse 28 is exhortation, be grateful. Offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And then verse 29 gives us further motivation. Our God is a consuming fire. Keep running the race. Persevere in the faith. Don't turn away. That's the focus of all of Hebrews, and that's the focus of Hebrews 12. And we're given three motivations in this passage to keep running the race. The first is this, because you've come to Mount Zion. That's motivation one. And that, of course, is contrasted in this passage with Mount Sinai. There is a contrast here, and it's important for us to grasp, between our Christian reality, this side of the cross, with the reality before Christ's coming. It's a difference between what we would call the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. Jesus said, this is a new covenant in my blood when he lifted up that glass of wine, that cup of wine. This is the new covenant in my blood. There's a difference between the new covenant and the old covenant. And what this is saying is you've not come to Mount Sinai. Remember what happened in Mount Sinai? It was fearful. You had divine holiness, but without a mediator at Mount Sinai. And so you could not come near. You could not touch it. God warned that. It was physically dangerous. And so there was 
a, uh, a line where people would not cross. If you touch the mountain, you're going to die. It was physically dangerous. Could not be touched. And the people didn't want to hear anymore. Even Moses was terrified with fear. And what this is saying is, you're now, you're in Christ. You're not there at Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion. See the difference. Note the the distinction. Mount Mount Zion is not physically dangerous to you like Mount Sinai was. It's a heavenly place. That's what this is saying. It's the city of God, the new Jerusalem, where angels are gathered and where, where all the saints who've gone before us, those Christians who've died, their souls are there. You've come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. And God is there. Jesus Christ is there, our mediator and our atoning sacrifice. You need not fear. He's the one who says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. He's the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the one who loves you, brothers and sisters. He is the one who has forgiven you and who continues to cleanse you and protect you. You haven't come to Mount Sinai. You've come to Zion. Therefore, keep running the race. In fact, all of that is the basis for the exhortation of verse 25. Therefore, do not refuse him who's speaking. Hear him. Hear the gospel. Listen and believe. Continue believing. Continue to say yes, amen to the wonderful good news that you are in Christ Jesus and that it is well with your soul. Don't refuse him like Esau did. You have a precious Savior who's died in your place. So that's motivation one. You're not at Sinai. You're at Mount Zion. That's where you've come to. The second motivation to keep running the race and to keep keep going, to persevere in the faith, is that this old world is passing away. And it's given to us as a warning For if they did not, verse 25, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. If God brought judgment on those who didn't listen to Moses, how much greater judgment will God bring to those who refused Jesus. So it's given a bit as a warning, isn't it? Do not refuse him who is speaking. 
But there's also a promise here. Christ's kingdom will come in all of its fullness. Christ's kingdom will come in all of its fullness. If you are in Christ Jesus, you do not turn away. You do not apostate. But you keep on. You keep running the race. You are united to him who has triumphed and who will reign for all eternity. Someday all of this creation, this created order, will be shaken. Think about that. Think about all the things that are so ultimately insecure. These things will be removed. And all that will be left is the rock-solid, unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ. And this is what the church is about, by the way. This is why it's very important. I mean, the, the church lives in this world, and we need to be salt and light in this world. And, and so there's, there's, there's no denying that. But the central focus of the church is to proclaim Christ and to proclaim the gospel and to be about spreading the kingdom of Jesus Christ in this world. It's not about fixing the governments of this world. That's not our, that's not our purpose as a church. No, Again, we should be salt and light as Christians, and that should have an effect on our community. It should have an effect, Lord willing, on the culture in which we live. But the cause of the church is not the cause of who's ever sitting as president of the United States. Because here's a little tip of the future, the United States is going to end. It is. And so is Canada, and so is Mexico. We're all going to end. We're not eternal. The, the United States isn't, and, and what we, you know, the, the culture in which we're living, that's all going to end. Think about how, the, how insecure and fragile life is where we are susceptible to diseases or accidents. Accidents happen in this world. Natural disasters take place, and many people are, are uh, either killed or they lose all of their possessions. There's mental disorders that can come in to, to us and, and those whom we love. Economies rise and they fall. All of these things happen. Social security? It's social insecurity when you think about... You think about when social security began, how many people there were giving into social security as opposed to how many were taking out? That number was in the thousands to one, now it's, I think, like two or three to one. Three people putting in to how many people are taking out. The point there is, it's not real stable. <laughs> it's not really security. And jobs, I mean, you, you, you find that, don't you? We can have a job, but it's, there's not always job security. And 
we don't know what's going to happen if somebody decides to buy our company or, or we're laid off. There, there just is not that security. The point is, all of that is going to pass away. All that's going to be shaken. And what will remain is what cannot be shaken. And that is the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that is given to us as a motivation. See, that's not telling us to do anything. That's just saying, hey, everything you know in this created order is going to be shaken except for the kingdom of Christ. That's not going to be shaken. Now, that's just simply a statement. That's a statement of fact. That's information for us. But that's given to us as motivation to listen to Christ and to follow Christ because he cannot be shaken and his kingdom will endure. And that becomes the basis for the exhortation of verse 28. Let us be grateful to be thankful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. Be thankful and worship. And all of this whole matter about Sinai and Zion, about what is shaken and what is unshaken, is given to us so that we may endure with gratitude and worship to our God. Oh, but then we're told one more thing, verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. That's given to us as another motivation. It's not telling us to do anything, is it? It's, that's indicative. Our God is a consuming fire. There's no in, imperative there. But that's given to us as motivation. Don't be like Esau. Be worshipers of this God. Don't fall away. There's a fearful warning to those who refuse him who speaks from heaven. The fearful warning is you have no protection. You have no mediator. You have no savior. And it's a frightful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. Our God is a consuming fire. It is a frightful thing because God is still God. He is holy and He is righteous. And so the Bible is very clear. As in Revelation 20, where we read in verses 14 and 15, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Our God is a consuming fire.
Hell is not the place where God isn't. Some people like to say that. Hell is complete separation from God. No, it's not. Hell is separation from God's mercy. (laughs) But in hell, you have the full effect and the, uh, the full reception of God's anger and God's wrath. God is a consuming fire. You're not separated from it. You have it in full force in hell. Or Revelation 21, uh, here John says, verse 22 and following, And I saw a new temple in the city, for its temple is the, is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for the sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives, its, gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a fearful warning. Our God is a consuming fire. He is holy and righteous. And what this tells us is that in the new heavens and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, the city of God, nothing unclean can enter it. Nothing unclean. And if you are not in Christ, you are unclean. If I am not in in Christ, I am unclean. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is a call, brothers and sisters, to you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is a consuming fire. And the only protection is the protection that God himself has given in mercy that is his son, Jesus Christ. And this is a wonderful promise to those who are in Christ Jesus, that God's consuming fire will consume our adversaries, but will refine us as gold. This isn't just for the original hearers, those Hebrew Christians who are tempted to leave the faith. This is written for you and for me to keep going, to listen to that voice that speaks a far better word than the blood of Abel, to hear Jesus who says, I will be with you. I will protect you. I will cleanse you and forgive you. I am preparing an unshakable home for you, for all eternity. And I am for you, not against you, always.
These things, brothers and sisters, are what motivates us to keep the faith, to keep going. Even in life's hardships and difficulties, remembering that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, and he will bring us home. Amen. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you for your great love for us and that you have provided the very escape from your just, righteous wrath against sin by giving your son, Jesus Christ. And oh, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you. Give us ears to hear that we would not uh, close our ears to the voice that speaks from heaven. But let us ever embrace the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ with joy, with gratitude. So that we would worship you rightly. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.